My name is Hannah Dyson from Enfield Voices and Global Net 21. And this is one of the regular webinars we do telling people's stories, inspiring, learning and gaining knowledge of the experience of others. Tonight's webinar is called A Journey of Identity, a story of my dual heritage and the importance of open dialogue about mixed ethnicity. In this webinar, we discuss a journey which starts in a farm in rural Philippines and takes us to Manila, the Philippines, Cornwall, the UK, Nottingham and North London. A chance meeting at a hotel in Manila leads to a magical love story, adventure, opportunity, hopes, dreams and a new family. This evening we're delighted to be chatting to Christian McNamara who will be telling his stories of growing up in various towns and cities in the UK and the challenges this entailed whilst trying to fit in. Christian has a mixed ethnic heritage with roots in the Philippines as well as in the UK. He's always been aware of the difference his dual heritage <coughs> gave him growing up in largely white communities and since the events of summer 2020 and the Black Lives Matter movement has gained an appreciation of the importance of speaking more openly about the mixed race experience. So welcome Christian to the webinar this evening. Thank you Hannah, thanks for having me. Thank you. Um, could you just uh, tell us a little bit um, about yourself, just a brief introduction? Well, the introduction you gave me just now was very flattering, so thank you. Um, yeah, so, so as you mentioned, um, I've grown up in quite a few different places across the UK, um, actually mostly kind of small towns and villages, and I think that's really kind of played a big part in forming uh, my personality and also, also my identity, which obviously we're going to talk talk about mostly this evening. Um, I live in London at the moment. I've been in here, been here for about 10 years. Um, I've been working in homelessness for the last few years, and that's really my, my main passion um, about uh, ending homelessness in London in particular. Um, the last year has been really difficult for all of us for so many reasons. Um, I'm really glad and, and really grateful for being work for being able to work on something that that really gives me meaning um, in terms of supporting rough sleepers during the pandemic, um, as you very kindly and eloquently described in the blurb for this um, webinar. Um, we've been working on um, what's now seen as, as as a global leading response to supporting rough sleepers during the pandemic. Um, we we made sure that the number of infections to rough sleepers was absolutely minimised. Um, over the capital in the last year um, and we're still looking after those individuals who came in um, during the government's everyone in program and hopefully we'll continue to do so so that's really really given me something to get my get my teeth into and, and allowed me to kind of um, express one of my sort of main passions through my work um, at the moment I am living with my partner working from home uh, with our cat um, and we've got uh, we've got a daughter due um, our first in May um, so really excited about that. Um, and my mum, um, who I guess we'll talk a bit about tonight as well, uh, who is Filipino, uh, as you mentioned, uh, she's currently in the UK, uh, which is quite unusual for me. She's spent most of the last 10 years in the Philippines. Um, so the fact that she's here and we've got um, her granddaughter on the way, I think is, is really, really important for me. Um, so looking forward to that very much. Yeah, it's, it's an amazingly exciting time for you, Christian. Um, and you've really, really come a long way. I think we, we obviously met at work and, um, you know, we've kept in touch 
um, here and there since since that time. And um, yeah, I'd, could you tell us a little bit about your family's story of your parents at meeting in Manila and the Philippines and then like settling in Cornwall? Yeah, so my mum, my mum's, I suppose, from what you'd call a very traditional Filipino family. And um, it's a story that anyone who's met someone like me, who, uh, who might have Filipino parent or parents, may have heard before, um, comes from a family of subsistence farmers. Uh, so rice farming uh, from an island called Leyte, which is in the eastern Visayas, um, sort of in the central Philippines. Um, she was part of a very large family, um, the eldest daughter um, with lots of siblings. Um, it was quite challenging for her growing up in terms of the demands on her as the eldest child, I think, because her parents were working um, very hard on the farm. It, it kind of fell to her to look after her family. So she became sort of uh, an appointed matriarch of the house from a very young age. Uh, she ended up leaving school um, before the end of primary school, what the equivalent would be over here, uh, in order to do that. Um, so the fact that she even ended up meeting my dad, I think, is is just so unlikely. Someone who comes from that background um, to have ended up where she is now. Um, I think it, it took a lot of hard work from her end, but also a lot of chance, uh, I suppose, as well. Um, so when she got a little bit older, uh, old enough to leave the family village, um, she managed to convince her parents to let her to go to Manila, um, which, you know, even now it's it's perhaps not seen as the safest city in the world. Um, anyone who's been there might know uh, what I'm talking about. It's a hard city, uh, I suppose, like London is in many ways, um, to make a living in. Um, and I think they were really reluctant to let her go from her very quiet life uh, down in the village. Um, but she managed to convince them. And yeah, it was a chance encounter, really, in, in a hotel. My dad was working as a um, he was working for a large travel agency at the time. Um, so he spent a lot of time uh, in Australia and in Southeast Asia, um, building tour packages and meeting with clients and all that kind of corporate -y stuff that I, I never really fully understood. Um, and yeah, it was one of those where he like spotted her across the room. I mean, I don't know how much of this is true, but you know, the way they parents like to spin their romantic meeting stories. Um, yeah, and he he managed to um, get a conversation with her, which I think was impressive at the time because she barely spoke any English, um, having obviously having not finished primary school and being from a very rural family. Um, but you know, they had this kind of blossoming relationship over there, and he would come back to the UK, and then he'd go and visit her whenever he could, or get an excuse to go there for work. I suppose probably more likely, um, and. Yeah. I think he was quite he was quite older my dad and very traditional so he really did the thing of like going down to meet the family and and following all the I suppose the the local traditions around courting someone um it was a bit old-fashioned in that sense but um yeah they moved to the UK quite quickly after getting married and this and they went to um Cornwall first is it or was it Nottingham yeah it was Cornwall um Cornwall. so so yeah my my dad had a cousin down there um, and I think he felt like maybe it would be a nice introduction to British life. You know, Cornwall's very, uh, it's lovely. I still love going there now, it's such a nice yeah. place. Um, but, you know, very close-knit communities, um, very warm people, I think, generally speaking. Maybe that's a bit of a generalisation, but certainly been my experience. Um, and, you know, having some family there as well, I think it really helped mum sort of uh, establish herself in the UK. Um, I think for me growing up there, it was... Um, it was quiet 
and it was, I suppose, immunity, uh, a community that had grown very organically and sort of was rather insular in that respect as well. And I think it's something I noticed in lots of the places we ended up living was that, you know, my mum was one of maybe like two or three Filipino people in the whole of the, you know, town that we lived in. Um, and, and I think it, there was, there was a feeling of difference probably quite, quite early on, uh, in my childhood, uh, growing up there, even though I didn't know it at the time, I think reflecting on it now and reflecting on my experiences now, yeah. uh, I think it's really clear, um, sort of how unusual we were as this family of sort of little half Filipino children in a, um, very quiet white town, uh, in, in Cornwall. So I guess as a child, you don't really, you know, there's something different, but you don't, um, you can't really verbalize it, I guess, um, in that way and sometimes parents might not talk about it openly it depends on I guess who your parents are um so yeah what were, I guess what were the challenges of growing up in Cornwall at that time and and did you did your parents have any sort of conversations with you about um um being a sort of mixed heritage at all or no and I don't you know I don't like to talk ill of anyone in their absence but they absolutely didn't talk to us about that stuff at all um I think it was something that was sort of deliberately ignored and I think this you know when we were talking about um this before um it really kind of struck me I suppose how um how much my my upbringing reflected what my parents aspirations were um whether or not that's what I wanted for myself and what I would choose for myself now, it certainly isn't what I would choose for myself now. And I think that was an aspiration of whiteness and Britishness. Um, I think my dad, as I mentioned, he was very, very traditional. Um, he was a bit older than my mum. So he grew up in the in the 50s and, and 60s. And I think his, his upbringing, um, yeah, was very traditional and was very kind of uh, based around um traditional British values you know um a lot of that stuff is is positive it's it's based around sort of politeness and, and pride manners and a certain way of speaking and, and all that stuff is is great um to an extent but I think actually there was a real feeling that um we needed to minimize our Filipino side of our heritage and of our personalities and of our our you know how we presented outwardly um, in order to fit in, um, in order to be more British and be more accepted uh, in the sort of relatively small uh, communities that we were growing up in. Uh, it was the same when I moved to uh, Northamptonshire and um, when we're in Dorset as well. You know, these are really small villages where, you know, they were predominantly, if not in completely white. And I think when you have a peer group that doesn't look like you, um, there is a need to minimise as much as possible that feeling of otherness in order to feel accepted. And I would say that my parents, they didn't discourage it. it I suppose is probably a kind way of, of putting it. Um, I think they felt like if that's what would make us happy and get us friends and help us feel like we were part of the community, they were, they were fine with that. And I think really for my mum as well, I think she felt really insecure about how she appeared and how she spoke, uh, you know, around people who, didn't have an accent like her and they were British and I think she really wanted to be like them and I sympathize with that so much being an outsider and wanting to fit in um, and I think it's only really in recent years where 
I've realized how much I've lost out from rejecting my Filipino heritage at such a young age. And I've tried very much in the last few years to embrace it more and more and to, to wear it openly and proudly and, and define myself as someone who is mixed race and Filipino um, because it has, you know, has so much going for it, my heritage. And I think it's worth, it's worth celebrating and not, not being embarrassed about or, or shy about. It's definitely worth being really, really proud of um, your heritage. I, I definitely believe that really passionately. And to help you get to where you are now, so you, you feel completely uh, at um, sort of like really proud of your heritage. Um, I think you went on a literally a journey um, to get to that place. And uh, there was two trips that you went on um, to the Philippines um, to go and see your family um, there. And that was 2016 and 2018. And um, could you tell us a bit about those trips? And did you take your partner, uh, Kerry, with you on both trips or one? Yeah, so on the first trip in 2016, um, that was actually kind of forced. Um, it'd been a long time since I'd been to the Philippines uh, before then. It had been, uh, I think, about seven years. And uh, it was actually because of a death in the family and my mum was going and I wanted to go with her for, for support. Um, my sister ended up joining us as well. Um, that was a, a, a difficult experience um, because, uh, you know, anyone with, from Filipino background who's been to a Filipino funeral uh, will know that they're really intense um, experiences. Um, there's, you know, waking vigil between, you know, and the bodies laid in state in the family home and um, there's a funeral procession um, which everyone takes part in and there's you know it's it, it, it's really cathartic I think that's kind of its main purpose is that you get to express all your full feelings but being British as I was as I felt as I've been brought up going over there where funerals possibly are not particularly expressive and I know there's lots of reasons why that's that's not great um, but um, I think it was a real um, eye-opener for me to the difference, you know, certain big life events like funerals and weddings, Filipino weddings I've been to as well, huge differences in the way that our cultures approach those, but I only have understanding of, of one of them. And I think that trip in 2016, um, showing that, you know, where I saw the unity of my family and um, me being embraced as someone who was mourning into, you know, that that community i think i felt really really touched by that and also really piqued my curiosity about well what more is it that i want to learn about my filipino heritage what more could i um gain from it and how can i how can i better serve and, and honor that um so i think the the trip in 2018 i think i'd been talking to to kerry about going to the philippines for years but we'd never quite justified the the time and the and the expense of of going um but I'm really, really glad that we that we went. We got to spend, a, you know, a couple of weeks with my mum. She was still living there at the time. Um, her really kind of showing us the ropes, you know, showing us around the, her family farm and visiting all my uncles and aunts in their houses. You know, she's the only one, uh, barring one other member of her generation who left the village. They're all still there. Their families are, are all still there. So my first cousins and second cousins you know they're all within a stone's throw of my my grandmother's house the house that my mum grew up in or the plot where the house was where she grew up so um it's almost like you can 
step straight into my entire Filipino family in, in one go. And I thought that was an experience that, yeah, I really wanted Kerry to be a part of and for, for her to, I suppose, see why I was really trying to, I suppose, maximize my exposure to my culture, uh, my family's culture, and try to absorb that in, into more of who I am and, and how I express myself and how I define myself. Uh, and I think it really, really achieved that. You know, we traveled around to a few different places as well. We went to um, Cebu, which is a relatively like popular tourist place, but my mum had a friend who owned a place with a swimming pool, so we could not go there. Um, and then uh, we went to Palawan, which is, uh, again, a fairly popular tourist destination, but, you know, completely different sort of ge geographically and, you know, some cultural differences to where my where my mum grew up. So, again, really interesting just to see that um, and to try and understand a bit about um, Filipino life in a way that I, I had, you know, actively avoided probably up until a certain point in my life. Um, so, yeah, it was it was it was fantastic. And um, I hope there'll by be many stage, more. By that Sorry. Stage. By the time you went to um, the Philippines in 2016, you'd been living in London for quite a, um, a few years, I think, I don't know how, maybe four or five. So perhaps by living in London, you had met other people who were also on that journey or who also had um, like a mixed ethnic heritage and perhaps that gave you the impetus to go on that journey of identity, do you think? Yeah, I think I've, I've, come, I've met you know, over the years, some people who can talk really eloquently and knowledgeably about their cultural heritage, um, you know, mixed race people. And, you know, I, I have no idea what it's like to be mixed race and black or mixed race and Indian, you know, those are completely different experiences to mine, but there is something consistent um, across experiences of those who are mixed race something around I suppose an ambiguity and also an element of of choice in terms of how much you value and prioritize your non-British heritage uh, and actually the people who I who I met tended to know a lot more about their families and their culture than I did and I I wouldn't say that I was embarrassed I think it just kind of highlighted that to me that it, there was something I was missing there and you're right you know in London you come across people like that all the time and it's perfectly normal and that's I, I think that's great and that's how it should be um it certainly wasn't I didn't feel that way for my entire life um but you know and I also feel like um you know lots of people I've met uh they may have a name that that kind of nods to their heritage uh which I don't um or they may retain a surname that again nods to their heritage which I don't either um so I think for me you know and I'm also very very conscious that I'm very light-skinned uh and I have that that privilege I suppose that it's 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 been really easy for most of my life to hide my non-British identity you know if I really wanted to got a completely British name and um you know there are some people who if I hadn't told them they wouldn't have known that I had uh, a non-British mother so I think it, it's about not falling into that trap of feeling like I need to hide it and yeah actually taking the opposite steps to to expose myself and and have those conversations about well what does it mean to be to be mixed race and what the various challenges that that brings but also like really good opportunities to to identify those things you know someone uh who has an indian mother um a friend of mine talking about um his his life growing up 
and actually there are loads of parallels to the way we experience sort of culture shock and you know not being sure about how to identify ourselves um, but also like being really interested and like finding all the humor and like the family traditions um that yeah. you know otherwise I, I would be missing out on so yeah, yeah def i think that's definitely um a, a great a gift that uh, you have if you um are you know mixed ethnic have mixed ethnic heritage you can find the humor in the traditions and um the gatherings like the weddings and, and things like that i think that's a really great thing to be able to to have um so do you think your partner Gary um to encourage you but maybe like your conversations together um so when you went on your trip in 2018 do you think she helped um helped you have the confidence to discover your identity a bit more a bit further and embrace your family yeah that's that's a really interesting question I'm not sure if I have looked at it that way before but I think her seeing it through or seeing it through her eyes um maybe is a better way of putting it um really kind of it really helped me appreciate some of the things that maybe I took for granted or maybe I didn't find that interesting um certainly going there as the kids I think I felt quite uh it's weird all the stuff I've talked about so far I think I felt a bit embarrassed about my Britishness so like kind of the opposite of when I was in the UK that you know, I felt like really out of place. I was like, I didn't know anything about the Philippines going there as a kid. You know, I couldn't speak any of the language. I didn't know what, you know, what, uh, how to behave, how to act, like what the cultural norms were, because I just hadn't been taught that stuff. Uh, and I wasn't interested in it, you know, being Franco. As a kid, I didn't want to know. Um, I was just interested in what my friends were doing and being like them. So um, whereas my mum could kind of flick it on and off like a switch, um, she could be one or the other, depending on, what the setting was and obviously my dad was really well traveled um, and he he kind of loved and understood the Philippines so was very comfortable being there um, I think both my sister and I were really like lost and and felt kind of like trapped in the middle it's like well are we Filipino and can we talk to our Filipino family or are we British and we're like tourists and we're different to them and they don't like us and so in many ways I think it was kind of an extreme version of what we felt in the UK um, because we just, yeah, with, with the language barrier, especially, I think that really, really held us back. So I think started to focus on the things that I did understand and like the, the relatives that were especially friendly and wouldn't be embarrassed about trying to talk to us in English to make us feel welcome, you know, and, and bless them for doing that. But seeing it through Kerry's eyes, you know, her going over there and actually her being interested in things or finding humor or, uh, or finding, um, I suppose, being curious about stuff that maybe I would ignore, or maybe it's just stuff that I've seen before and not that interested in. I think that that really was a bit of an eye opener. And it made me quite proud as well. I think I wasn't sure how she'd feel about it. And again, it comes back to this thing. And, you know, I definitely take a lot of responsibility for feeling or allowing myself to feel embarrassed or not proud of my Filipino heritage for a very long time um that perhaps I didn't, didn't expect her to be that impressed by the country I was like oh you know I'll drag her along so that I can spend some time with my mum and hopefully she won't hate the food like that's about as much thought as I put into it um but it was like the opposite of that you know she loved it and she loved my family and you know 
the weather and yes the food and like the way that people interacted and um the way that there were like so many of my cousins and children like always trying to be around and um trying to be present when we were there for like the experience of being with us because they wanted to be with us and near us even if they couldn't communicate how much they enjoyed our company like all that kind of stuff which I think I'd glossed over or, or minimized or not paid attention to I think having her there as that kind of third party to be like this is great you know you should really be proud of, of this and and your family are just lovely I think that 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 really helped kind of bring it home for me so yeah that is a very good point and yeah, and do you think the um, the summer of 2020, when the Black Lives Matter movement uh, got a lot of publicity and people started going to events and started being protested, do you think that kind of um, made you be able to speak more openly about the mixed race experience? I think it made me more confident being the person who could talk about issues of race. And I suppose what I mean by that is, you know, like I said before, I don't, I don't know what the black experience is. Um, I can try and understand it and I can read and learn and I do, and I try my best to, to do that and to be an ally, but it will never be my experience. Um, so I think rather than try to be part of Black Lives Matter, even though I'll openly support it and always will, um, I think what it highlighted to me was that as a mixed race person, I think I have a responsibility. Um, and I'm lucky that I work in a place that's very racially inclusive, um, although it does acknowledge that it has more work to do. Um, I currently am taking part in some training to become a facilitator for uh, race-based discussions. So it's called Let's Talk About Race. And it's for any and all employees who are interested in learning more about issues of race, um, whether that be examples of examples of discrimination, uh, racism in the workplace, examples of, of microaggressions and microinclusions, um, ways to talk about it uh, openly um, and non-judgmentally, I suppose, for people who want to learn more about how people who are non-white struggle uh, in society. And I think t a year ago, two years ago, I wouldn't have Put myself forward for that i think i wouldn't have had the confidence i would have felt like oh no that's for other people who are more comfortable with their identity who have something to say um or who feel like they need to say something and i think i felt like i didn't need to say anything and i was benefiting from you know lots of privileges like i said you know british name pale skin um well-spoken from a nice family you know middle class you know all these privileges that lots of people who whose struggles were highlighted through Black Lives Matter through subsequent um, protests um, you know people who people who have experienced challenges that I haven't essentially so I think I think it was quite a unique responsibility you know I'm almost like almost feel sometimes like a bit of a bridge like I can talk to my white friends about race in a way that they don't feel comfortable necessarily they might not feel comfortable bringing it up I mean I don't want to make them uncomfortable um, but I think it's important and it's happened you know naturally a lot more than perhaps I was expecting and I think that's great you know we talk about it in football quite a lot football's a really good like talking point for issues of race because it really uh, really focuses people in on something they care about uh, 
um, and allows conversations about different perspectives on the game and the experience of individuals, whether it's fans or, or footballers of colour uh, in particular, and and why that's an issue. So, yeah, I think I think the events of 2020 were were really transformative for how I view myself and how I review how I view my responsibility in terms of yeah talking about race you know using my privilege I suppose um that I that I have the opportunity and the, the confidence and I'm lucky to be given the training to to do that um and I think it it helps in a way get me thinking more about my own heritage and and reading more about my own heritage so that I can answer questions about how I feel about it and, and why it's important to me uh kind of like we're doing now I guess I think that's really uh, important in the workplace because uh, I think sometimes people can find it maybe quite awkward um, to bring those subjects up um, in the workplace. Um, but if they can sort of speak to you maybe one-on-one -on -one or even in a, in a group, that's really advantageous and gets the conversation going and, and continue the conversation. Um, I want to, We're coming to, towards the end of the webinar now, but I wanted to know... Um, if people want to sort of um, get in touch with you and uh, ask you a bit more about your work, you know, um, to do with sort of um, ethnicity or like homelessness and ask you a bit more about that, how can they get in contact uh, to, our, to contact you? Um, well, I'm, I'm always looking to speak to people in a professional capacity about homelessness and rough sleeping. Um, I'm, I'm really fortunate to work for um, the Great London Authority. So, the mayor has a large uh, rough sleeping program, um, which we're delivering at the moment, but there's constantly new pots of funding which are coming online, uh, pre predominantly from central government. Um, so we we deliver grants programs on behalf of central government. We also directly commission services through the mayor's budget. Um, but we're, we're, we're interested in, in working with anyone who has an idea for the way that homelessness services can be developed, if it's a charity or someone's maybe a trustee and they're interested in learning more about what GLA does and how they can become involved in services then that's great if it's people who want to um, provide kind of lived experience uh, insights into the experience of rough sleepers people know who people who have slept rough or been homeless before people who are again uh, trustees of charities that have uh, members who are former rough sleepers we're always interested in in hearing from those people um, so you can get me on LinkedIn um, I will accept a message or a request or whatever. I'm not, not precious about that. Um, yeah, LinkedIn is, is the best place to find me. Oh, wow. Well, that's, that's really, really helpful. And that's really interesting. Um, I think there might be a few little local charities in Enfield that might be able to uh, get in touch with you to ask your advice um, about homelessness. So I'll definitely direct them to you. Thanks, Christian. And thank you very much for like, sharing a little bit of um, about your experiences in um, the, the journey of identity and um, hopefully uh, more, you know, people will be inspired by you and continue, continue to be open about this conversation. And um, thank you, Christian, for um, being with, with us tonight and sharing that. And we'll end this webinar now. Thank you.